You're listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.org. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called The Fruitful Life. The experiences of your life produce fruit. At the end of your life, experiences are what you'll remember, and what they produced in you is what others will remember. Our scripture text comes from Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Today's message is entitled, The Fruit of Experience. This morning we're continuing on our 40, series of 40 days of what? Purpose. That was a long time. 40 days of fruitfulness. And uh, this is week number three. And the first week we talked about what? Anybody remember the first week we talked about? Talked about abiding. Remember that? And I walked around with a power drill cord and, and made some noises with the, with the screw gun and talked about the difference between a battery charge and an electrical charge screw gun and, and uh, about abiding in Christ. At the, the heart of the Father, who was the farmer, the vine dresser, was that you and I, the branch, would be attached to the vine and that the life of God's Spirit flows through that vine into us and enables us and enables us to bear good fruit. Last Sunday, we talked about, anybody remember? You took a little test. Anybody remember last Sunday? Fruit of the Spirit. I can tell you were practicing those all week. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and meekness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And we talked about the fruits of the Spirit and operation in our life and how that works. That, that it's a pro- We don't produce fruit. Fruit is a byproduct of walking and living out the Spirit-filled life. And this morning, I'm going to talk about life experiences. We've all had life experiences. As a matter of fact, some of our experiences are shared experiences. In other words, we share them with other people. We'll share them with our family, our spouse. We'll share them with other people in a group, in a community. But a lot of our life experiences are what happens to us. And we view the prism of life through what has happened to us. And so this morning, I want to talk about this and how God uses our life experiences to further His kingdom. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. And we're going to begin with verse number 3. Verse number 3. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3. Paul the Apostle, who was probably the most influential man ever used in Christianity had really a radical experience with Christ. And we're going to talk about his life for a few minutes this morning. We're going to talk about Paul's experience. But Paul's experience isn't the same as every person's experience. But out of Paul's experience and his relationship with Christ, God used him in a powerful way. God used him, and at this point of Paul's life, he's kind of ending the end of his journey. He's been a Christian now for maybe 30 years, and he's preached the gospel, and he's had all kinds of, I mean, wild experiences. I was thinking about Paul's life today, and I thought, you know, Paul's story is better than Indiana Jones' story. I mean, if they ought to make like a movie. They ought to make like a, a, what is it, an action movie based on the life of Paul. I mean, the guy had, just read the book of Acts and the things that Paul went through. Unbelievable. I mean, his life was just fascinating. And the reason that it was fascinating, we're going to discover, is found right here at the, in the text that we're going to read in Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 3. Now, I want you to hear the heart of a father. This is the guy that started and planted this church. And he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. 
I always pray for you, and I make my request with a heart full of joy, because you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a very special place in my heart. We have shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. So Paul is writing to these people who have partnered with him in spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. And he is really confident that what God has begun in their life, he's going to complete. Now verse 8, and God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand that what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. I want you to hear that verse again. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including all the soldiers and the palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and have become more bold in telling others about Christ. And then just look over at verse 30. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Father, I pray that in these next few moments, I pray that every heart will be open to receive. I thank you, Lord, that it is through our life experiences that we've come to know you and to experience you, the living God, and that your power is present not only to heal, but to bring change and transformation to our lives. And Lord, as we abide in you and we understand our responsibility to do what you've told us to do, I pray that our lives and our minds and our spirits and our hearts will be open to walk this life that you've called us to live. I bless your people now and your wonderful and mighty name. Amen. In our culture today, there's a, I mean, there's been an explosion over the last 10 years of reality TV shows. Isn't that right? Right? Anybody here watch a, a like one reality TV show a week or every, anybody here? American Idol. What are some of the, can you put some of those up here? Anybody watch American Idol? Anybody seen American Idol? Okay. What's the next one I got up there? Survivor. Anybody ever seen Survivor? Okay. How about the next one? Amazing Race. Anybody ever see the Amazing Race? What's the next one? Kitchen Nightmare. Anybody? That's our personal, our family. That's our favorite, Chef Ramsay. How about anybody ever see The Biggest Loser? Anybody ever see that one before? Okay. Well, most people have seen some reality shows, and they're on every network. They're on every channel. And really, I mean, they're the most popular television shows. American Idol, for like eight years running, has been the number one show in America. Like two, every night it's shown, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever its run is, whatever nights it's shown, it's the number one show in America. And people say they don't watch it, but boy, for, for people that don't watch it, they have a whole lot of people that do seem to watch it. As a matter of fact, that guy, Salman Cal, just signed a $140 million a year contract. $140 million a year. So somebody's watching that show. Somebody's watching that show. You might not be watching it because you're too religious, but somebody's watching that show. <laughs> but what's interesting about reality TV to me, what's interesting about it is that it's kind of factual. I mean, most of those shows, and there's so many, there's, you know, 
there's just so many in every kind of genre. There's, there's a heart. There's like an oil. You know, I saw a show, just the commercials for it, where these guys are out on an oil rig and who's the hardest worker kind of show. And you name it, man. They got a reality show for it. And the interesting thing about the reality shows is that they've, like if it's a half an hour, they've taken 22 minutes of probably 150 hours of video. And they've taken the very most captivating clips of that 120 hours, 150 hours that they filmed, and they shrunk it down into a 22-minute impactful, like riveting, you know, exciting unbelievable kind of experience and so although the people in it are real the cameras are rolling and so it's I call it it's kind of fact and fiction at the same time it's kind of fact and fiction and Americans and Western civilization and the world at large really lives kind of in this fact and fiction reality world so much of what people perceive to be true in our popular culture really is filtered through the lens of the television so we got this fact and this fiction thing happening in people's lives and many times that transfers over into their everyday life and so they think their marriage should be like you know their or their financial situation should be like or whatever their experience they're looking at at television they start to measure and base their life on this fictional reality it's fictional it's not really real although the people are real and some of the experiences they go through are real it's not really real and so we have to come to this place in our life to realize that we really we really have to live this real life this real life I mean, even think about it. I was thinking about this week, my boys have been bugging me to watch this movie called Slumdog Millionaire. And I don't watch a lot of movies, but every once in a while I will watch a movie that has kind of a, a social message or a social conscience. And, and, uh, and this movie I watched. And uh, I wouldn't recommend the movie for kids. And you can write me bad letters if you want. I watched it with my family. But this movie depicts what happens in the Indian culture. And it probably depicts it in a fairly accurate way. Once again, it's shoved into an hour and a half or two hours. It shows a, a kid's, you know, 21 years of life experience shoved into about a two-hour movie. But as far as the sights, I mean, it's one of those movies that you can almost smell. That's all I can tell you. The, the sight of it and the sound of it, it feels so real. And this kid's experience, it's literally filmed on the streets of India. And don't let anybody kid you. All worldviews are not equal. All worldviews do not lead to God. And the worldview of the Hindi religion basically says this, that you are valueless, that people have no value. You're just, you know, you're just this, you're just whatever. You've come back from a previous life, and you're going to come back in another life again. Therefore, you are totally expendable. That's what they believe. So therefore, they have guys that walk the street, take little kids, pop their eyes out, cut their hands off, put these terrible scars. And I'm watching this movie, and this righteous indignation is really welling up inside of me, and every bad word that I can think of about these bad guys, I'm thinking right now. I'm telling you, I'm so angry. And I'm thinking, those guys, those guys are evil. That's wicked and evil. And, and as you watch this movie, you're kind of caught up in the reality of what the people of India live as an everyday experience. Now, it's still, it's still f- fictional, though, because I'm watching it from the coolness of my my winter springs home with a remote control in my hand and so it's still I mean even when you watch Passion of the Christ you're you know and it's and and it portrays fairly accurately it depicts what Christ went through in his crucifixion it still doesn't bring you there and you're still not experiencing it you're still it's kind of vicariously you're seeing what someone else has experienced but you're still not there doing anything about it and that's the problem with television 
That's the problem with living our lives through the lens of this camera. But there are personal experiences that every single one of us go through. And our personal experiences count. As a matter of fact, if you think about experience, I went to the doctor a couple of weeks ago, not a big deal, went to the doctor, and uh, they had a physician's assistant, and she had a couple of trainees. There were like three young girls that came in to work on me. And the whole time in my mind, I'm, if you're a physician's assistant, I'm sorry, but in my mind I kept thinking, where's the doctor? And I'm thinking, okay, I ain't taking my clothes off for these three girls. you got to be kidding me. She asked me. I said, no, I don't think so. I ain't doing that. I just pulled up, yeah, you can look at that. That's, that's, about, that's about as far as I went right there. I just pulled up my pant leg. I said, bring the doctor. I didn't say that to her, but, you know, inside of me, I'm saying I'm looking. Because personal experience, it matters. You go under the knife. You ain't looking for a guy that just got out of med school, and he's been cutting out a bunch of frogs and cadavers. You want to find that guy that's done about 5,000 of those, and you know he doesn't drink. And he had a good night's sleep last night. Come on, amen? And he ain't addicted to prescription pills. And he got a, had a good relationship with his wife the night before. I mean, come on. You're looking for a guy that's happy. Guys, you don't want him taking it out on you. Let's be real. Experience counts. Experience counts. And your life experience counts. It really counts. I want you to put that verse, verse 12 back up again. Can you put that verse? It's the first verse I got up there. It's our memory verse that I want you to see this. Verse number 12. This is what Paul the Apostle, you got to get this this morning. My brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has made more people know about the good news. You see, your personal experiences, the things that you go through in your life, if you have a correct perspective on them, if you understand why, and we're going to talk about this, so we're going to go all the way to, I've got to go to 10.30, not 10.15 today. We're going to go all the way to 10.30, so just brace yourself. Hang on, it'll be good. But your personal experiences matter. They count. And if you understand the prism through which God works, they will, those experiences God will use to further the message of good news in our generation. You see, it isn't just for Paul, and it isn't just for a few chosen guys. You see, Paul was actually a tent maker. I mean, Paul was ministering as a worker. He was a guy that provided for his own needs. So, like, you know, he had his own job. Yeah, he had a call of God, but so do you. The call of God in your life is to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. That's your primary call in life. Whatever your business is, whatever kind of work you do, whatever you do for your living, that's not your primary call in life. Your primary call in life is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything else in your life is going to pass away. You might be really good at something today. You might be really good at it. But when you get old and you can't crawl out of bed, you're no longer going to be good at it. It's a fact. It's a fact. And so our life experiences really matter. Now listen, I I got this quote. There's a guy, his name is Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor. And he's a philosopher and a pundit. And he's got a lot of really, like, really wise, pithy sayings. But this kind of, this stuck with me. And I I read this quote this week, and I wanted to read it to you. Viktor Frankl says, Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therein he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Thus, everyone's task is unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. Now, this guy's not a Christian, 
But he understands the mission of the human life because he's seen it in its most fragile, precious condition. He's seen the, the extremes of human life. In a Nazi prison, uh, Nazi prison concentration camp, he's seen the horrific things that have been done to other human beings. And he understood that the fact that he survived that, there must be a significant purpose and mission for his life. And the reason that Paul could go through all the things that he went through, the reason that believers who through the test of history have finished the race, the reason they've been able to do it is because they understood their mission in life. And that's what this 40 days of fruitfulness is about. This 40 days of fruitfulness is about you really understanding your mission and purpose in life. And outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the local church, outside of the purposes of God in your life, let me tell you, everything else pales. What you do in God's kingdom counts. It counts for all eternity. So you have personal experiences. We all do. There's two great big truths. You can write these down if you got a piece of paper. There's two great big truths. Everybody has good and bad experiences. Everybody has good, good and bad experiences. And our response is the key. Everybody has good and bad experiences. It's life. Everyone in the room, every week we pray every prayer request. And every once, every once in a while we'll get a praise report. But generally we get a bummer report. Mostly they're bummer reports. They're, you know, bummer this is happening in my life. And bummer this is happening to this person. And bummer this is happening. You know, we want blessings. But the reality is that we live in a fallen world. And there's lots of problems out there. There's lots of problems. And so there's good things that happen in our life, but the tendency of our human experience is to focus on the negative. The tendency of our human experience is not to look at the good, but to look at the things that could have been better. And God's saying, you know, I mean, think about it. Think about how God views life. Think about how God views you. Yes, there are things that he wants to be better, but when he looks at you, he sees you through Christ. He sees you complete. He sees you covered with the blood. He sees you forgiven. Now, yes, are there things that are going to improve? There's things that he wants you to change? Absolutely, of course. But he sees you as a believer as good. Not within yourself, but because of what Christ has done. So we've all got good and bad experiences, but our response is the key. I think I got up here with Chuck Swindoll. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this. Chuck Swindoll says, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me, and 90%, 90% is my response to it. Now, I'm just going to look real quickly at a couple of Paul's experiences. First, I want you to see Paul's spiritual experience. Paul's spiritual experience. It's found in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Paul is literally consenting to the death of Stephen. Think about, I mean, this guy's got to, I mean, you just, if you really want to read a fascinating story, read the book of Acts and a translation you can understand, okay? So read it in the New Living, the Living Bible, the Message Translation, the NIV. If you can understand the King James, more power to you, bless your heart. But, but read it in a translation you can understand so you get the feeling and the thrust of what's taking place. These are acts of the Holy Spirit through God's people. Sometimes we think like these guys were a special class of citizens. That's goofy. That's stupid. Today, the 29th chapter of Acts is being written at City Church, and it's happening through your life. You don't believe it. Amen. Someone give the Lord a great big hand clap. Come on. I mean, so Paul's got these incredible spirits. He's, he's a zealot. He's a Jewish zealot. He hates Christians. He's dragging them out in the streets. He's having them thrown into prison. This dude's radical. He's radical. And the next moment, Acts chapter 9, bam, He's like knocked out. Now, we don't all have this experience. 
not everyone gets saved has this kind of experience of God, but Paul did. I mean, I had this kind of experience, and I relate to that, but now I know many people don't. But Paul's like, wham, and God just appeals. You're going to hear from just a moment from a young man who had this kind of experience of God. But Paul has this radical experience. And I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's a spiritual experience. And his life, man, God, the way God used him, the miracles, the, the healings, the salvations, the churches that were planted, all these things. Because Paul was focused on his mission. He never lost sight of the purpose. He never lost sight of the purpose. I'm just, he was focused. He stayed focused on it. He had painful experiences. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 11, you can, he, re, he lists, and I, wrote, I just got a couple, he was, uh, he worked harder than anybody. He was in prison more than anybody. He was beaten more than anybody. He was exposed to death again and again. Five times he receives from the Jews 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails. Five times. I mean, one time I'd be done. Remember a couple years ago when they came, that kid over in Singapore, the, the American kid that, you know, wrote some bad stuff on a bunch of cars, and they whipped his hiney with the little cane, and Americans, Amnesty International, everybody was out there. You know what I discovered? That kid never did that again. You know what I mean? I mean, he didn't do that again. That was a lot of pain. He, he thought twice. Next time he had a temptation to pick up a can of aerosol paint and spray a car, he said, ah, maybe I won't do that this time. I mean, here's a guy five times. Think about it. I mean, think about how much suffering we've really had to do for Christ compared to that. Because, see, this guy's got an understanding on pain and life and suffering. And he goes, dangers and shipwrecks, country to country. People lied about him. People gossiped about him. Went without sleep and food and hunger and all these things. And he said, so what? So what? So what? Like, big deal. The message of Christ was being proclaimed. So he had a lot of painful experiences, but he had these missionary and ministry experiences that literally transformed and revolutionized his generation. I mean, it was, they were powerful ministry experiences. Every person in this room is destined by God to have powerful ministry experiences. And the reason that people fall away the reason that people stop serving the Lord, the reason that people aren't focused and the reason they get distracted and they go back into the world and they get critical is because they're not doing the mission in the way that God created them. They're doing all kinds of other things. And let me tell you, the temptation to quit is out there for everybody. The enemy wants to knock every single one of you off the wall. I've been doing it at this city for 10 years now, and I've seen many people knocked off the wall. Many people that had great gifting. I remember a few years ago, there was a man had great gifting in our church. Great, great gifting. Knocked off the wall. Lost his focus. Lost his purpose. I don't know what happened. I don't understand it. And he was gifted to teach. and Just a great guy. Leader. Knocked off the wall. Sitting at home today. Questioning why everybody's doing what they're doing. I mean, he could have been so mightily used. I'm going to give an account to my life, but he's got to give an account for his life too. And so God has this amazing purpose and plan. See, Paul had perspective. Paul had right perspective. He had right perspective about stuff that was happening. And because of this, there was a fruit that was being born in Paul's life. Paul understood that you had to maintain your joy. That no matter what you were going through, Listen, no matter what you're going through, the only way you can maintain your joy, because the natural tendency when you're going through hard times is to do what? Complain. Isn't that right? To bicker, complain, to fuss, to fight, to, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And he says some other things in there. I left it out. But the fact is, the joy of the Lord, to maintain your joy, you must stay focused on the mission and have a proper perspective about bad things. I can tell you when I lose my joy, and I've, I've had it leak out. I've had situations come. I didn't have right perspective on them. I got frustrated. I said dumb things. You know, praise God for the blood, Amen. Thank God the mercies of the Lord are new every morning so we can get up tomorrow and do this right. But he had joy. He maintained his joy because he had right perspective about trust. The second thing that I want you to see is that he had peace. He walked in peace. And you know why he walked in peace? He walked in peace because he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He was a man with prayer, petition, thanksgiving, praise, once again, worship of God. Next thing I want you to see, he was a man that maintained his hope. He was a man who kept his hope. Philippians 4 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to, have, to be in need. I know what it is to be in plenty. Verse 13, but I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. So this is Paul's experience. Now, I want to talk about my experience. A couple of years ago, a group of guys from our church. This is really important for you to hear today. We've got a couple more things. We're going to finish this up. You got to hear this, and I want to hear. I want you to hear the testimony of a couple people in our church. Uh, we had been. We came to this city. Amen. Oh, we got a little. Woo, a little Mexican fiesta. We we came to the city, and uh, you've heard the story. We had no idea where we were going to start the church, and God directed us and led us, and through the people that we were connected with, we we're in relationship and partner partnership with in the assemblies of God, and they asked us to start a church in Altamont. So we start this church in Altamont. And, uh, and, you know, mercy of God, grace of God. We plant this church. God helps us. Church grows. And, and uh, we're reaching out to the city. And, and uh, we're all these, God's just so many miracles. So many things happen. And then all of a sudden, a lot of bad stuff starts. No, keep the first picture up there. All of a sudden, bad things start happening. I mean, a lot of bad things. I mean, attacks. Well, they were attacks. But, you know, some bad things happen in your life just because they're self-inflicted. You do dumb things. You fell out of the stupid tree and you hit every branch on the way down, right? And we've all done that. Amen? Come on. Don't be too proud here. And the fewer dumb things you do, the better your life is. So, but then there's this bad things that happen because we live in fallen world, right? You live in a fallen world, right? Amen? People sin, sinners sin, guys drunk, driving down the road, bumps into your car, slams into your car, you know, somebody breaks into your house, somebody steals something out of your car. I mean, you just live in a fallen world, Bad stuff happens because you live in a fallen world. Yeah, nope, you didn't do it. There's sin. Obviously, the devil's behind it, ultimately. But it's just fallen world. And then there are things that are direct tests from God. In Deuteronomy, the Lord actually tells Moses that I'm going to test you because I'm going to see what's in your heart to see whether you will obey my commands or not. I'm going to allow you to be tested. That's exactly what happened to Job. It's exactly what happened to Moses. It's exactly what happened to Joseph. It's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. It's exactly what happened to Paul. It's exactly what happened to Marilyn. It's exactly what happens to Roger. It's exactly what happens to Debbie. It's exactly what happens to Dave and to Dan and to Keenan and to Billy. It's exactly what happens to, 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 uh, to my golfing buddy right back here. It happens. It happens to everybody. I mean, God tests you. He allows the enemy to come in. He allows the enemy to come in. And he just says, you know what? Let's see what they're made of. That's the way it goes. I mean, it's Bible. That's Bible. You don't like to hear that. 
But if you don't have a proper prism and perspective of stuff, man, you're going to get all goofed up. So we go on this journey. Boom, we start in Altamont. We go to one theater, another theater. Man, I'm discouraged. My wife gets cancer, blah, blah, blah. All these things. Well, I want to get the violin out for me here in just a moment. And all these things are going on. And we end up in Longwood. And while we're in Longwood, I get this real feeling that we've got to find a permanent place for City Church. I just, I really know. And I'm thinking, man, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know where to go. And my wife and I, and people on the team, we're always looking and we're talking about it. And nothing's available. And somebody says, oh, there's this place up in Sanford. I'm like, nah, no way. And that's too far. And, uh, and, and I just couldn't get perspective on it. And, and so I get a friend of mine. This is like in 2000. What year did we move here? Remember 2004? 2004. So 2003, a buddy of mine calls and says, hey, I got this uh, lady, just a great lady down in Mexico, She's a great woman of faith, and uh, they got this little church in a shack. And so she says, uh, so this friend of mine says, hey, why don't you come? I said, sure. I said, sure. Without really kind of thinking about it all, you know, and the next thing I know, I realized that we had to buy a building. So I have to cast vision to help go down to Mexico and build this church and at the same time figure out what we're going to, because it was starting to get a lot of pressure. New owners down there, they raised our rent and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, this thing's got to change. Uh, something's got to happen here. So we just said, you know what, we're going to go and build this church. And so we work. Just go ahead and just flip through these pictures. So we start building. That's Carl. He was here a couple weeks ago. He's in Texas now. We got, we're handing out food. We're building this church. We did, the concrete was poor when we got there, but we put all these walls up. That was the first trip. Look at that. There we go. Keep going. That's, a, that's the longest I ever went without shaving. Uh, we got the, so by the first trip, by the first trip, we, we left with, you saw that picture there with us standing in front of it. We had to come back the next year to finish it and then go ahead and just go to the end. We'll show them the end slides there. We went back and dedicated the building uh, about a year and a half ago. That's the completed building. Can you give the Lord a great big hand? Now, I'm sharing all this. I'm sharing all this because I want you to hear the shared experience. This was something we did collectively as a church, as a church family. Now, some of you weren't here then. There were a few that were here. We were still along with the time. But what we did, you can put that first picture of Pastor Reina up. Pastor Reina, a woman with not two nickels to rub together, was probably one of the greatest women of faith that I've ever met because she prayed these gringos all the way from Orlando, Florida. She prayed us all the way into Nogales, Mexico to build her a building. She had no money. She had no ability to do it, but she had the vision. She had the connection with God. She had the power of prayer. She knew, she understood perspective. She understood that her God wasn't a God of lack. She understood, as a matter of fact, in that little community, it's so dusty there in southern Arizona. It's so dusty that, and there's no running water. As a matter of fact, the, the year before we got there in 2004, the year before they got there, Actually, yeah, 2004 was the first time in all of human history this whole region of about 50,000 people ever had electricity, at least 50,000 people. They've never, ever, to this day, they still don't have running water. We're talking po poverty, total poverty. This lady, she always had enough. She had enough so that she could take, buy extra water, and the people couldn't even afford water in that community. And she'd have these barrels of water, and she would sprinkle the road. In front of her place, she would sprinkle the road with the water. And people would come and say, how did you do that? And then she would just share her water with them. And guess what God would do? God would supply. You see, the shared experience for me, what I learned through that, and as I look back now, and the correct perspective was that I had to do something for someone else in order for God to do something for me that I needed to have happen. 
And what did I need to have? I needed for City Church to have a home. And you guys have no idea. You guys sit and come to this building. It's set up every week. You got no idea what we went through. It was a lot. I can just tell you it was a lot of pain. And there were a lot of times I didn't have right perspective on it. But what God was doing is he was testing me. And when you go through this stuff, God is testing you. He's testing you. Now I want Travis to come. Where's Travis? Travis, let's give Travis. Come on, Travis. Come on up. And let's give Travis a great big hand. Travis, how you doing today? Good. Now, Travis, tell us your last name. Corsell. Travis Corsell. Where are you from? Tampa. Tampa, Florida. And how old are you? 23. 23 years of age. Now, Tampa, uh, and, and Tampa, there's some, uh, there's some interesting things you experience in your life. Isn't that correct? Yes, sir. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to know Christ? Uh, I was about 20 years old. I, I never grew up in a church-going family. No real strong Christians close to me. And uh, ended up starting to get into drugs when I was about 14 years old. By the time I was 20 years old, I was selling drugs. I was homeless. I uh, was in and out of mental wards, uh, taking crazy drugs every day. Uh, just uh, when I was 20, I was in Hernando County Jail. And uh, they threw me in solitary because I was going crazy. It took like seven cops to hold me down, pressure appointment. Tell me, what the doctors have diagnosed you at this point, what kind of stuff have they said about you? Pretty much everything. They, uh, bipolar, bipolar with psychotic features, marijuana-induced psychosis, paranoid schizophrenia, just uh, ridiculous amounts of stuff. I was, like I said, I was on a lot of crazy drugs, and I had a lot of crazy spiritual beliefs, too. And... Uh, so they, they, I'm in jail. I end up like trying to escape and going crazy, and they they hogtied me. They threw me into solitary confinement, and I'm going crazy in there. I'm slamming up against the walls. I'm I'm screaming. I'm just insanity. And uh, I turn around, and there's a uh, there's a wall, cinder block wall, and the prisoner that was in there before me took a pencil and uh, drew in between the bricks. A little bit about, little bit about what was happening, what you were doing when you were in the prison cell. Uh, I, I was just. Uh, I, I had told God like the day, a day before maybe, maybe that day, that uh, the time was crazy. I, I can barely remember because, like I said, but I had told God, listen, I know you're out there. I don't know who you are. If you're Allah, let me know. If you're Jesus, let me know. If if I got to follow the Tao, let me know. Just let me know so I could follow you. And, uh, and I turned around, and there was a cross drawn on the wall. And when I looked at the cross, I, I felt the power of God for the first time. And uh, it, was, like, it was intense. I've, I've, I got on my knees. I prayed for Jesus to come more and more into my life. And from that day on, my life has never been the same. On, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. That is good. Tell us about your heart for minute. Tell us about your heart for ministry. Uh, right now, I'm an intern at Teen Challenge. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to help out people that have problems like I had. I went through the program myself, and in uh, about eight months or so, my internship at Sanford's over, and I'm applying right now for global internships. I'm go overseas for about six months, maybe twelve. Amen. So the call to be a minister and a missionary, you're saying yes to. Amen? Amen. Let's give Travis a great big hand. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. I want Donald Wilson to come at this time. You see, 
Everyone here has a story. That's one of the most incredible stories that I've ever heard. The power of the cross. Folks, don't forget it. You heard it today. It's the truth. It's the reality. It's what this city needs. I want to introduce you to another young man. This is my spiritual son. One of my spiritual sons here. And I want Donald to know that I'm so proud of him. And uh, Donald loves God. He loves the kingdom. But he's also got a story. And so, Donis, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to Christ? Well, uh, when I was four years old, I uh, witnessed my mom stab my dad 15 times right in front of me with a butcher knife. Um, the babysitter actually had to come pick me up, and he, they said that my clothes were so drenched in my dad's blood that they actually took them off me and burned them out back. We live in Lake Lake County, out somewhere in boondocks nowhere, so, <laughs> so it was kind of crazy. And then um, that set me up to go live with my grandmother to raise me, and... Um, I'd visit my dad periodically, and when I was 10 years old, I witnessed my dad get shot twice right in front of me. And um, from that point on, like, <clears throat> my dad wasn't saved. My grandmother, you know, she said she believed in the Bible, but she really didn't. And, um, like, all throughout my life, my grandmother was just there to, like, raise me, and she was my comforter and everything else. And uh, my grandmother would always tell me, because nobody in my family ever graduated high school, and so she would always tell me, Donald, the only reason why I'm living is to see you graduate from high school. And so... I, and in high school, I, you know, I, I messed up a lot and everything. And I remember it was my senior year. And uh, the month that I was going to graduate, my grandmother actually passed away. And um, it was actually two, two weeks before I graduated. And I just, I, uh, I ended up having to go an extra half a year because it completely messed me up. And from that time, somehow, uh, there was a man named Steve Hogue that came uh, to our apartment complex. And he actually ministered the gospel to me and, you know, introduced me to Jesus. And so from like, when I was living with my grandmother, I became a leader in the church, whatever. And then when my grandmother passed away, I just completely got angry with God and said, you know, I, have, I don't want nothing to do with you. So I fell away. And then I ended up selling drugs and living with my dad, who was strained out in crack cocaine now. And I was purse snatching and selling drugs to people in Daytona Beach. And uh, I ended up getting stuck in West Virginia one time. And I, I was sitting on a, my car that broke down. And in front of me, there was a cardboard sign that says, smile, God loves you. You know, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, you know, you have a sense of humor. And uh, I ended up coming back and uh, ended up going to my old, one of my old churches, Pastor Tim Wisen, and he uh, ended up pouring back into my life and just rededicated me. And, like, ever since then, it's just I've completely radically got shit touched. Tell us a little bit what you're doing in ministry now. Uh, I'm actually head tech guy here at City Church, and uh, I'm actually a youth leader for Wide Open Church, uh, just pouring into young people every week. Amen. Let's give the Lord a great big hand. Amen. Thanks, Tony. You see, the pain that you've had in your life, it's a life experience. And, and I've used a couple of extreme examples here this morning, but your pain is different. Every person in this room has had a different life experience. But I want you to put the very last slide up. It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, verse 19 and 20. I want you to see the very, I want you to see what the heart of God is for this city and for your life. You see, there are good experiences that we have, but there are also bad experiences. Joseph was in a good place in his life. He was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Egypt was the world leader of it. It was the United States of America of its day. The most wealthiest, the most, most powerful. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. Joseph had everything at his fingertips. And Joseph had gone through a lot of pain to get where he was at. Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers Joseph had, been, Joseph had been falsely accused of rape. Joseph had been forgotten in a prison. But Joseph, because he understood the purpose of pain, Joseph went from the pit to the prison to the palace. 
you got to hear this today. Because there is a place called heaven designed for you. And what we do in this life will determine our experience in heaven. We don't talk much about rewards today. But I want to get us on focus as a church. See, this fruitful life is about focus of life. This fruitful life is about a whole army of believers on focus, on mission, what God has called us to do. You see, when his brothers came to him, and they were terrified because they knew that he could take his life, they listened to these words from a man who had been able to forgive, be able to walk in love. Joseph said, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph understood that everything that he'd walked through was allowed by God. Everything that's happened in your life, whether you've done it to yourself, whether you just because it's a fallen world, or because literally it's a direct attack from the enemy that the Lord is allowed to come into your life, the Lord is teaching you. He's teaching you. You see, but, but they meant it for evil. Satan meant it for evil. Your family meant it for evil. Your co-worker meant it for evil. Your, your, the brother or sister in the church, they meant it for evil. But God meant it for good in order to bring about, as this day, so many people alive. Someone give the Lord a great big hand clap. God wants to save this city. God wants you on task on the mission. We do, with the stuff we're doing, we're doing membership, and we're doing class, and we're doing small groups, and we're doing evangelism, and all these things in our city, and sometimes we just think we're just going you know, through the motions. But guys, we've been destined and created by God as a congregation to bring His love to the city. And 40 days of fruitfulness is about us bearing fruit in the city. Jesus said that He would build a church that was glorious. Jesus said that He would build a church that's like a city set up on a hill. And they shall be a light to the nations. And they shall preach good news to the sick. And they shall bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. And they shall deliver and set the captive free. Guys, this city needs a church that's on fire, that's filled with the presence and the power of an almighty God that demonstrates his love, regardless of race, class, color, creed, economic background. Come on, someone stand up with me in the house right now. Come on, stand up with me and give the Lord a hand clap in the place. Come on, let's give, him a, let's give God a praise in this place. Let's give him a praise. Come on, get a shout on this morning. Break that apathy off you. Backslidden Christian, wake up. Wake up. God is alive. Jesus is alive. And he's looking for a church that's glorious, that's powerful, that's bold. Aren't you sick of living a wimpy, weak Christian life? Come on, aren't you sick of it? I'm sick of a powerless church. I'm sick of a bunch of whiny babies crying. I want God. I want his power. I want his glory. I want his anointing. I want people healed, set free. I want Travis's coming into the kingdom of God. Come on. Yes. Oh, the heart of God. Jesus went to the cross. Guys, for us. But it ain't about us no more. It's about God flowing through us. We had explosive growth one time in this church. One time. We literally had, where the church just propelled into the next level. And you know what happened? We did mission. We took it to the streets. This is literally what happened. 
We weren't a bunch of pew mormers waiting for the pastor to bring the glory. We took it out. We had about 35, 40 kids come from Michigan and someplace, and it was in the month of August. We're, we're affiliated with the Assemblies of God, and every two years they do this big fellowship thing. They have about 20,000, 25,000 people. They meet around the world, around the country, and, and 10 years ago they were in Orlando, Florida. And so we had like 50 kids come. We had about 20 kids in our youth group that time. So there may be like 75 people for one week straight. We took it to the streets morning and night. In the morning, we went and we knocked on doors and we cleaned toilets and we handed out bottled waters and we went to the shelters and we just, I mean, we blessed people everywhere we went. We handed out tracts. We, we started knocking on doors. We went into the projects and we just, everywhere we could go in a week's time. We held services at night. And I'm t- we were running about that time about 50 people, 60 people. And, you know, considering that was like our church was like four months old and we didn't know anybody. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I, looking back on it now. And uh, the church literally from that time, Glenn, it just took off. It was like it just took off. What, was ha- what happened? The church was released August 3rd through 7th at City Church. We're going to have 50 young people from around America here. We're going to have our own young people. We have way more. How many? We got 100 every week. We get about 250 that are in our sphere of influence. We got, you know, we have way more kids now. We have way more people now. We have an opportunity to take the love of God. Now, you know, there's a lot of great churches, and we're thankful for the churches of Sanford, but this is City Church's heart. The heart of City Church is to bring God's love to the city. And I'm going to challenge us to let the church arise in you to let the presence of God flow through you. You want to see miracles? Open your mouth about Jesus outside of this building. You want to see miracles? You want to see people healed? Don't just wait for a little magic show up here in the front. You start praying for someone in their home. You start praying, sitting around a cup of coffee for your neighbor in your neighborhood. You start, I mean, you start opening your mouth outside of this place. Instead of cursing and drinking and yelling and running around and doing all the things we say we do as Christians and then think we can come in and have it, it doesn't. You start talking about Jesus and his love and his grace and miracles. You will see miracles. And then we gather back together. We're going to be, we're going to come back together on Sunday morning and we're going to be bringing our friends and there won't be an empty service. This first service will be full. People will be shouting. Travis's will be jumping. Donald's will be jumping. Young people will be jumping. I've never seen a person win who wants to be a millionaire that didn't get crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, I've never seen a person, I've never seen a guy that won a Super Bowl or an NBA championship. I've never seen a guy that anyone that's done something phenomenal. And Tiger Woods, last week, I mean, the guy sinks, I mean, he's just an animal. And he sinks, I mean, this 20-foot putt. And, you know, there's like 100,000 people in the gallery now. For, I don't know how many, like 50,000. They can't even get them all in. Ah, and Tiger's, right? He's crazy. Why he's winning? When churches start to win, people get saved, born again. All of a sudden, the general the issues of holding on to your pocket and those things, man, you're like, yeah, let's let's see that church built. Let's build that church back in Altamont. Let's build a church in Mexico. Let's get some people and go to Africa and build a church. Come on, we can do it. We'll scrape, we'll cut off our, our Mickey D's and our Burger King and our Wendy's for a couple of weeks and we'll start saving our money so that we can do something for the glory of God. You see, the enemy meant it for evil in your life. Up to now, you've been bouncing around, haven't figured it out. The enemy meant it for evil to keep you trapped and in bondage. But today, you're looking to the cross. 
You're look, come on, you're looking to just look at the cross. Donald, can you put that picture of the cross up that you guys got there? Just put it up on the screen. The cross. Just close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. Just picture the cross. The cross has the power to save this city. The cross has the power to change the human life. Lord, as we walk in the Spirit, you're going to lead us into a supernatural life. God, the spirit of complacency and apathy and lukewarmness and just doing business as usual, today I declare is finished. It's finished. Thanks for listening to this message, The Fruit of Experience, with lead pastor Eugene Smith. For more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.org or call 407-321-9600.